2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought David cannot get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. On that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That is why they say the blind and lame will not enter this place. Then David took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. Hi everyone, I'll be reading from 2 Samuel 6. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. They, sat, they set the Ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ahio, sons, <coughs> sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the Ark of God on it, and Ahio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, trimbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. When they came to the threshing floor of Nakhon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God, because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah, and to this day that place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Abed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Abed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, 
and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because the ark of God. So David went to bring up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, while he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and the sound of trumpets. As the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the tent that David had pitched for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings before the Lord. After he had finished sacrificing the burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord Almighty. Then he gave a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins to each person in the whole crowd of Israelites, both men and women, and all the people went to their homes. When David returned home to bless his household, Michal, daughter of Saul, came out to meet him and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half-naked in full view of the slave girls of his servants, as any vulgar fellow would. David said to Michal, It was before the Lord, who chose me rather than your father, any or anyone from the house when he appointed me ruler over the Lord's people Israel. I will celebrate before the Lord. I will become more undignified than this, and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. But by these slave girls you spoke of, I will be held in honour. And Michal, daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Nice to see you all. My name is Paul. I haven't met you. I'm going to pray first as we come to this great chapter. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I'm probably sharing my age, but a song that I love goes like this. Uh, uh, be still in the presence of the Lord. The Holy One is here. Come bow before him now in, in reverence and in fear. You, you might remember that song. They're great words. Come bow. Come bow before the Lord, the Holy One, with with reverence and with fear. I don't know whether you have that kind of posture before God. As you plan to gather with God's people, as you come to church each Sunday, do you have this reverence for God? This respect for him as the holy God? And the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. He is pure, he is other, he is majestic, he is splendid. We are not gathering as a nightclub, we're gathering to be for a holy God. And so the attitude of reverence, of awe, of respect, that is appropriate, isn't it? And some of us here need to learn that. 
For some Christians today, they have more awe and reverence of a work colleague than they do with their holy God. Some of us are way too irreverent before a holy God. And yet, when you read the scriptures, you read verses like this, Psalm 95, let's come before his presence with thanksgiving, let's shout joyfully to him with psalms, or Psalm 16, in your presence, Lord, there is fullness of joy. So so it's not just reverence, but there's rejoicing. It's not just a awe, but there's a gladness. Because reverence before God doesn't equal boring. There can be, there should be these outbursts of joy. That's why we sing at 10 a.m. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We'll shout out your praise. And it's right when we come before God, there is singing and there's dancing and there's celebration and there's gladness because we're here to meet with our God. And that's also right. And I think perhaps more Christians here need to learn that. You know, we need to have more joy and more enthusiasm, more excitement. For some of us here, we get, we get more excited with the state of origin than we do with meeting with God. So you've got these two almost opposite reactions. You've got reverence in his presence and rejoicing in his presence. And the question is, how do you hold those two together? There's some churches are very good at the reverence bit. And their services are solemn. There's quietness, there's a hush, there's a, a somberness, there's, there's a weight of holiness there, but, but they are completely lacking joy. And, and other churches, they are way full of joy. There's smoke machines, there's light machines, there's clapping and there's dancing, but there, there, there's irreverence there. I think Psalm 2 verse 11 puts the two together beautifully. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Celebrate with trembling. That's our theme today. So in 2 Samuel chapter 6, it's a great chapter. The, the repeated word here is before the Lord. Before the Lord, that comes five times. Verse 5, verse 14, verse 16, verse 17, verse 21. So, so David is coming before the Lord. He's coming into, into the presence of a holy God. He's, he's encountering his almighty God. Let me ask you, do you have anything in your life, an object in your life that is significant to you, but to other people just seems meaningless? I've got two objects in my life. I've got a, a pair of cufflinks and a flat cap. These cufflinks are gold-plated, though you could probably buy them for about 40 bucks at Myers. They're not expensive. And this flat cap is tattered, and I would never wear it. But they're significant to me because they both belong to my dad who died 32 years ago. They're the only two things I've got of his that remind me of his presence. To other people, they're insignificant. To me, they're really, really important. Israel had something significant to them that to us seems weird. It was a wooden box. A wooden box about 1.1 meter long, about 0.7 meters wide, 0.7 meters tall. It was made of acacia wood. It was, it was gold-plated. On top of this box, there were these two angel figures, and they had these gold rings and these poles that you would carry this box. It was called the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Lord, and is the most important piece of furniture for Israel. 
because this was a symbol of God's presence. This ark was a, a symbol of God's rule over his people because he is king. It, it was a symbol of his reconciliation with his people because on the day of atonement, the high priest would sprinkle blood over the ark of the covenant as a symbol that God had been reconciled with his people. It was a symbol of the, the revelation of God because inside the ark, inside this box, were these two stone tablets with the Ten Commandments on it. Remember that from Exodus. So this Ark of the Covenant, it was a symbol of God's presence with his people, his rule, his revelation, his reconciliation. And it's such an important symbol that, that God gave strict instructions how to make it and strict instructions how to transport this Ark. You, you had to cover the Ark because nobody could look at it and live. You had to carry the ark by these poles. No one could touch it or they would die. That was the ark, this beautiful symbol of the holy, majestic, merciful presence of God. And it was so beautiful because God longed to be with his people. Now, we don't have an ark in church today. We don't need an ark because we've got the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of that because in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the perfect revelation of God. He made God known to us. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we have perfect reconciliation by his blood on the cross. In the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the perfect ruler. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And so the question for us today is not how do you respond to a box but how do you respond to the presence of Jesus Christ in your life? Do you revere him? Or do you rejoice in him? And how do you put those two together? So in 2 Samuel 6, a bit of background, Saul has now died, Jonathan's died, David has mourned, and David is now king over all of Israel. And he wants to bring the ark back into Jerusalem, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1, David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the ark of God. So the, the ark's been stuck in this house for the past 20 years, the house of, of, of Abinadab. Now David is king. He wants God back at the center. It's the best thing that David did. He wants to put God, the presence of God, back at the center of his people. And the question is this, how do you respond to that? Let's look at the first word, reverence. Reverence before a holy God. Alistair Begg says this, only when we are captured by an overwhelming sense of awe and reverence in the presence of God, we begin to worship God in spirit and in truth. Reverence before a holy God. It was a great day, there was... Singing and dancing, verse 1, David gathered 30,000 young men. So add women, add children, add older men. It's about 100,000 people. It's like a music festival with 100,000 people. And verse 5, David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, systems, cymbals, add drums, add guitars, add clarinets, add flutes. This is a beautiful music festival. There's joy in the house of the Lord that day. And verse three, they set the ark 
on a new cart, a new cart for this holy ark, pulled by these two oxen, guided by these two men, Uzzah and Ahio. And they set out on this journey to Jerusalem. Now, now please don't think flat road. It starts off on a hill. Jerusalem's on a hill, and there's hills in between. So they go up and down, up and down, up and down. And please don't think tarmac road. Think dirty, muddy, pothole track. There's a moment of panic in verse 6. There's a bump in the road, verse 6, and the oxen stumbled in verse 6. And we assume the ark's about to fall off the cart. And so a man called Uzzah reached out his hand, verse 6, and he touches the ark. Surely no harm done. And suddenly the music stops, the dancing stops, and everyone stares at the ground because Uzzah is lying on the ground and he's dead. Verse 7, the Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of the Lord. What is going on? David is angry, verse 8. He's angry because the Lord's wrath has broken out against Uzzah. He's he's angry at God. He, He hated what just happened because God has killed one of his own. We understand that anger, don't we? Why has God done this? I mean, Uzzah was only trying to help. I mean, should he just let the ark fall off the cart? What? Why is God so harsh? I was thinking, we'd never invent a God like this, would we? David Angus turns to fear in verse 9. He thinks, well, how can God be with me? What is going on here? You've got to remember that the, the ark was a symbol of the purity, the holiness the majesty, the splendor of God. This is not about a needless death. This is about the presence of a holy God, a God who is uncompromising in his holiness, who is zealous in his holiness, who is holy in his holiness. Yet these people on that day were not revering him as holy. They're not respecting him as holy. They're they're, they're messing around with God. They're being irreverent. I mean, God gave strict instructions. God said, cover the ark, But they didn't bother to do that. God says, don't touch the ark, carry it by the poles. They didn't bother to do that. God gave instructions that only priests should carry the ark, but they ignored that. This is not random rules. This is a holy God who who longs to be with his people, but recognizes that sinful people cannot come into his presence. God was so kind so, so kind that he gave all these instructions so he could dwell with them. But they chose to ignore it. I reckon God's people there made the same mistake as we do today. They'd lost this this sense of awe at the holiness of God. And holiness for them was, it was just a word. They, They knew God was holy, but it didn't impact their life. They just strutted into his presence kind of arrogance and familiarity. And I do wonder whether that's true of us today. We know that God is holy. And we spend so much time in church, we become a bit familiar of meeting with a holy God. We, we don't prepare our hearts to meet with him. We don't revere him as we should. 
They blatantly disobeyed. They ignored God's word, and we're good at that, aren't we? We're good at bending the truth. We're good at creating new rules because we think that God won't mind. And these people just did what the world did. Where did David get the idea of putting an ark on a cart? And the answer is in 1 Samuel chapter 6, because the Philistines decided to put the ark on a cart and ignore God's instructions. I mean, who wanted to carry an ark when you could put it in a car? I want to say that we will never revere God as we should, and we will never fear him as we should if we've got an insipid view of God's holiness. If, you, if your God is small, containable, puny, and just like us, you will never approach him with this respect and this awe and this wonder. That's why the Lord Jesus Christ is so incredible. Hebrews 10 says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus... It's extraordinary. We can draw near to a holy God with clean hands and a pure heart because we've been washed by the blood of Jesus. But just because we can come close to God doesn't mean we don't revere him and respect him. You know, if you got an invitation to the Queen's Jubilee this weekend, I, I assume that you'd respect her and honour her. So I want to ask you, are you mindful that week in, week out, you're entering into the presence of a holy God? When you walk into church, did you take a moment just to sit in silence and solitude and prepare your hearts? Do you, do you confess your sins? Do you say, thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that I can enter your presence now? Or is it all just high fives and familiarities and just like a social club? So there's reverence because God is holy. But there's also rejoicing there's joy in the house of the Lord. Psalm 47, clap your hands, all you people, shout with joy. There's joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Joy is this, joy is this deep-seated emotion where you're full of wonder and awe at God, that your heart is bursting and from your lips, you, you find these words of praise. And, and with your hands, that you want to clap. And with your, your feet, you want to dance. You just want to burst into song because you're just so in love with God. Have you ever felt that? Have you ever felt that when you come into the presence of God, when you come into the house of God, as you approach a holy God covered by the blood of Jesus, when you, when you realise that, that your holy God has loved you, chosen you, accepted you, and welcomed you, are your lips full of praise? That's what's happening here. Verse 11, the ark stays at the house of Obed-Edom for three months and the Lord blessed him. We're not told what the blessings were, but good things happened to Obed-Edom because of the presence of God. And in verse 12, when King David heard about it, he wants a bit of the action, wants a bit of the blessing. So verse 12, David went to bring up the ark from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. And this time, verse 13, when they were carrying in the ark, so there's no cart anymore. 
They're now obeying the word of the Lord. They're, they're carrying it on the poles. One Chronicles tells us the priests carried it. And when they've taken six steps, verse 13, they sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. So six nervous steps, and they, they made an atonement for their sins. And then verses 17 and 18, they offer sacrifices and fellowship offerings. But the focus is not on what they did, but how they did it. Verse 12, with rejoicing, with joy in their hearts. Verse 14, wearing a linen ephod, David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. While he and all Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouts and with the sound of trumpets. It was noisy, it was loud, it was triumphant, it was joyful. 1 Chronicles 15 says this, All Israel brought up the ark with shouts, with the sounding of ram's horn and trumpets and cymbals and the playing of harps. Now, the church, I do not get the impression this was the frozen chosen, do you? I don't get the impression there's much decorum that day. I don't get the impression that they were sombre and inhibited in their worship. I, I don't get the impression that people were standing before the ark mumbling worship songs or refusing to sing. There was joy in their hearts. There was joy in the house of the Lord. I'm not talking about emotional manipulation, but their hearts were, were pounding when they realised what God had done for them. That's the other side of this coin. There's reverence, but rejoicing. And I want to say that our reverential awe of God's holiness should not suppress our joy. It should stimulate our joy because we get to meet with a God who is holy, but he's chosen us to be his children. And he wants to be with us. And when you believe that, you can't help but burst out in song. So let me ask you, when did you last do anything joyfully enthusiastically, exuberantly for the Lord? When was the last time your heart was pounding with excitement about being in the presence of God? We sing the song, and when I think of God, his son not sparing, sent him to die, I scarce can take it in, that on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, he bled and died and took away my sin. Then sings my soul, then sings my soul, my saviour God to me, how great thou art. So let me ask you, what, what stops you being joyful before the Lord? Maybe it's fear of people. Maybe you're scared to show any emotion in church because of what other people might think of you. Maybe you're scared to, to sing loudly or to raise your hands because you're concerned what other people might think of you. I mean, David says three times here, I'm dancing before the Lord. That's my audience. You're not worshipping for the sake of other people. You're worshipping for the Lord. All eyes on God. Maybe it's wrong theology. I keep hearing in Sydney all this teaching about how it's unhelpful to other people to show emotion in worship. Where do you get that from in the Bible? Or maybe it's just your own heart. Maybe it's your own heart that you haven't been captured by this wonder of what God has done for you in Christ. So before the Lord, you have reverence and you have rejoicing. 
And the way that we keep those two attitudes together is by another word called humility. Humility, because humility is just this honest assessment of who you are before a holy God. You're not a somebody. We're all equal in God's eyes. That's where our chapter ends. Everyone's rejoicing before the Lord except one person. Her name was Michal, the wife of David. She's an example of pride, not humility. Verse 16 tells us that all of Israel were out on the streets dancing before the Lord and worshipping in the presence of God. And she's there, verse 16, looking down. Looking down on him. She doesn't see the ark. She just sees her husband, King David, leaping and dancing and she despises him. And verse 20, when David returned home, his wife is there with a scowl on her face, hands on her hip, voice dripping with sarcasm. How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today, going around half naked in full view of the slave girls. She says, oh, David, you're supposed to be a king. You're a person of power and might. You're a somebody. How dare you behave like the common people? Now, three times Michaela is called daughter of Saul. She's not called the wife of David. She defines herself as daughter of Saul because that's her position, that's her identity. She's a princess. She thinks she's a somebody. She thinks she's powerful. And she's so proud. I think Michal is the, the prototype of the Pharisees and the scribes of Jesus' day. The people who had these privileged positions, who had this power, and they looked down on everybody else. And again, church is full of those kind of people. You've got a title. You've got a position. You're a pastor. You're a leader. You're a reverend. You're a kids' church leader. And you think you're a somebody. Please get rid of that pride. It's about humility before a holy God, isn't it? That was David, verse 14, he's wearing an ephod. A linen ephod, it's just this this garment of a servant. So so King David took off his royal robes, he set aside his kingship and he humbled himself and he took on the form of a servant. Does that sound familiar? Our Lord Jesus Christ, he left the luxury of heaven He left the throne of heaven and he humbled himself to take on human flesh. And then he humbled himself to go to an old wooden cross. Now, if Jesus did that for you, then surely you can have that same attitude towards God. When you gather in the presence of God, you're not a somebody. I don't care how educated you are or uneducated you are how rich you are, how poor you are. I don't care what your background is. Before the eyes of our Lord Jesus Christ, we are all equal, all one. And when you realise that, it gets rid of your pride. And only when you come before God uh, as a holy God with humility will you recognise just how glorious he is and have that reverence. And only when you humble yourself before a glorious God with that humility will you go, wow, and there'll be joy in my heart because he's chosen me. I don't deserve that. So we meet. 
Sunday by Sunday. No, every single day we meet in the presence of God. I guess my challenge for this church is to keep those two attitudes together, reverence and yet rejoicing. Reverence, yet rejoicing. Let me pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we come before you with joy in our heart. There's joy because we are forgiven and redeemed and chosen and loved by you. And yet, Lord, we want to revere you, to honour you, to respect you as our holy God. So forgive us for times when we fail to do that. In Jesus' name we pray.